If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Second Timothy chapter two this morning. Second Timothy chapter two. Taking a week off from John, we had the um, conference there in Jackson, Mississippi, over the last couple of days. It was a blessing, and we uh, we made our way through the book of Second Timothy, and so that's where we're gonna where we're gonna be looking this morning. Second Timothy chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses twenty through twenty-six. Second Timothy two, starting in verse twenty, says, "But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor." sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. And so this morning, the, the title of the message is, Vessels fit for the master's use. Vessels fit for the master's use. We uh, moving into a, a new year today, and so there's always resolutions that accompany that, goals and um, things that you uh, want to do that maybe you didn't do last year, or maybe things that you want to continue to do that you started last year. It's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, there's always it's always good to have times to reflect on um, kind of where you are in life, where you've been, and where you're headed. I don't know what those goals are that you've set for yourself, but I hope that you've set some spiritual goals for your life. I hope that your plan is to. Uh, to be in God's Word this year on, on, in, on a regular basis, in a strategic way, in a planned way. I hope that's going to be a priority for you. And I hope that we, uh, as a whole and obviously as individuals, are going to try to make a priority to live lives that would be fit for the Master's use. That is, I hope that as we move into 2023, that each of us have the goal that as we find opportunity, that we would be ready to take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord gives us to honor Him, to witness, to evangelize, to whatever. Who knows what the Lord is going to give you the opportunity to do. Well, the book of Second Timothy is is written by the Apostle Paul. It's the last uh, book or letter that he would write. This is at the end of his life. He knows he's getting ready to uh, 
to die. And so he's writing his um, son in the faith, Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy in some very important areas. So this is, he knows this is going to be um, at least close to, unless somehow Timothy gets to him, uh, the last uh, words that he will give to Timothy. And so um, he's, he's talking about and focusing on um, what's going to matter, what's going to count, what Timothy needs to emphasize and, and uh, hold in importance. Whenever we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, the chapter as a whole is really made up of six metaphors. He's encouraging Timothy in verse 1 to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to encourage him to do that through six different metaphors that he'll point him to. First, he is going to encourage Timothy to be a good soldier that endures hardness. Then he's going to encourage him to be an athlete that is a law-abiding athlete, that is a disciplined athlete who who abides by the, the rules or the parameters of qualification. It's going to encourage him to be a hard-working farmer, an unashamed workman. And we're going to focus here on a vessel for noble use and a good servant. So verses 20 and 21, Paul introduces this metaphor here of a, a good vessel. A good vessel or a noble vessel. Verse 20 he says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good works. Now the, uh, the purging of these that's referred to in verse 21 um, really goes back to verse 16 where Paul tells Timothy to shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth a canker or a cancer that just spreads as of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and they overthrow the faith of some. So when he's comparing a good vessel or a vessel unto honor versus a vessel unto dishonor, um, the word vessel here is just a general word for any kind of household instrument or any kind of household um, um, possession, such as like a jar or a pot, a spoon, a table, a dish. And Paul says, in any household, there are vessels that are reserved unto honor. That is, they have honorable use. They're reserved for that purpose. So, for instance, if you have china in your house, you, you, you bring that out for a, uh, a special occasion. Other than that, it probably stays in your china hutch or wherever it is that you store it. But it's of value. It's of use or it's put to use for an honorable purpose. And then he says you have instruments or vessels that are used or reserved for dishonorable. Now when we think about dishonorable, we're just talking about things that, that you wouldn't normally talk about, things that aren't going to be the centerpiece of your discussion. So um, 
every house that these days um, has a toilet, right? But but we're not going to talk about our toilet whenever we meet for fellowship and and we eat our lunch. Um, it's not because it's not useful. It's because it's it's for what we would call a dishonorable use or the sense of it's not just something that we um, fellowship around, right? So here's what Paul's emphasizing in this passage. It's really going to emphasize a question. This is a question that he's going to ask Timothy, and it's a question that really he's going to ask us, and that is, when it comes to you and when it comes to your life, specifically to Timothy, he's saying, I'm getting ready to die, and you're going to have to carry the banner, you're going to have to carry the baton on your own, and so the question you need to wrestle with is, what kind of vessel are you going to be? What kind of vessel are you going to be? Are you going to be a vessel that is honorable? Are you going to be a vessel that's dishonorable? And then we ask the question, well, what's the difference? Well, the application that Paul is making in verse 21 is that this vessel unto honor is a vessel that is sanctified and it is meet or it is fit for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. It's a vessel or it's an instrument that's ready, that's prepared to do what the Lord has given opportunity to do. Really, the question is going to be, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? I've mentioned this before in different talks to the young folks, but we focus a ton on what people are going to be when they grow up. Right? You're going to be an electrician, or you're going to be an engineer, or you're going to be a plumber, or you're going to do HVAC, you're going to be whatever, you're going to be a pastor, what are you going to be? But the more important question is always, who are you going to be? Right? Who are you going to be in 2023? Are, are you just going to float? Are you going to put all your eggs in the baskets that don't really matter when it's all said and done? Or are you going to use your time, your talents, and your energies in a way that makes you fit for the master's use so that when the opportunity arrives, you're useful in the kingdom? Put another way, which this is really the way Paul is posing the question, when it comes to the kingdom of God, are you going to be a teacup or a toilet? Which one are you going to be? Now, a teacup is kind of feminine, so most guys don't want to be a teacup, but we're talking about the difference between noble, fine china, right? Useful for nobility. Are you going to be a toilet? This has nothing to do with your gifting. This has nothing to do with just your base skill set. You say, you know, I, I just wish I was more useful. I wish I, I had more gifts or this gift or that gift. No, that's not the question. The question is, are you going to be faithful with what God has given you? Are you going to be faithful to serve where God has placed you? Are you going to be faithful to uh, take advantage of the spiritual blessings and the spiritual disciplines that the Lord has given you access to? What are you going to be? A couple of different ways we can ask this question. Are you going to choose to live a life that's useless to the kingdom, destructive to the church, and dishonoring to God? Or will you live a life that's a blessing to the kingdom, edifying to the church, and honoring to God? Only you get to answer that question. Again, we're not talking about gifting. 
we're talking about faithfulness and discipline on your part. What are you going to focus on? The last way we can think about it. Are you going to choose to live your life in a way that uses God to further your plans and purposes? You know how this goes. We need something. We get very fervent about prayer. We get very motivated to find scriptures and and, uh, passages that will comfort us in whatever specific area we needed. But then once we get what we needed, our prayer life goes back to pot and our reading goes by the wayside and our interest in church and spiritual things just fades away. Are we going to live a life that uses God to further our plans and purposes or are we going to choose to live in a way that is useful to God in furthering His plans and His purposes? A vessel to honor or a vessel to dishonor. The truth is, if we're not careful, we've talked about this before, but if we're not careful we will waste our life focused on realities that we have no control over. You know, we can get, and we have been, and it's been for good reason over the last several years, gotten more and more alerted to, worked up about the different infringements that have been made by the government on religious liberties and so forth and so on. One of the interesting things that I've noticed is that many of the people who are the loudest about wanting to uh, push back against the government infringing on our religious liberties are the laziest when it comes to taking advantage of the liberties that we still have. You can spend your whole life complaining about things that really are just easy to complain about. Or you can be a vessel that's fit for the master's use by taking advantage of the opportunities that you already have. And so that's the question that Second Timothy is going to pose to us this morning. Are we going to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use. So this passage is going to describe that in three different ways. What does it mean to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use, a vessel that is useful in the kingdom of God? Three descriptions here. Number one, a vessel that's fit for the master's use is a wise vessel, or that is, a vessel that is growing in wisdom. Verse 21 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good works. Purge himself, that is, cleanse himself from these. From what? Well, it takes discretion. It takes discernment. It takes wisdom to know what it is that we need to be avoiding, what we need to be cleansing ourselves from. In the passage, I've said already, He's talking about people. He's talking about Philetus and Hymenaeus and their influence. But if we're going to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use, we're going to need discernment. We're going to need discernment. We could make a top ten list of what the church is in desperate need of today. Discernment is definitely in the top half. 
okay, a complete lack of discernment has almost been heralded and praised among Christians and Christianity as a whole. That is just the ability to make a distinction between what's right and what's not, between what's good and what's evil. It's really the, the ability to judge. I don't have to tell you how unpopular that is. To make a judgment. Now, we're not talking about rash judgments. We're not talking about foolish judgments. We're talking about wise judgments. Judgments where you've actually weighed out reality and you've viewed a particular issue through the lens of Scripture. So we've, we've been here a few times in the last couple of weeks, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, the command is to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. The word prove there is our word for discern or to judge. It just really means to weigh, to weigh in the balance. Well, this goes with what we were praying about this morning as far as the Word being our authority. What's going to be your measure? What are you going to weigh it on? How are you going to know how to think about various issues? How are you going to know what to emphasize, what not to emphasize? Well, it's, a, it's your ability to discern. How are we going to make sure that we don't get off track and get focused on just meaningless distractions? Discernment, that's how. It's an active mind that is filtering what we're seeing and it's developing that understanding through the lens of Scripture. Prove all things. Hold that which is good. Hold that which is good. Particularly among younger crowds, this whole idea of discernment and judgment is just not popular at all. But whenever you look at a passage like Hebrews chapter 5, you find out that discernment is a mark of spiritual maturity. There's no such thing as a mature Christian that doesn't have discernment. Look in Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Here Paul is, or I say Paul, the writer of Hebrews is, is rebuking the the audience here, because they should be more mature than they are. Starting in verse 12, Hebrews 5, 12, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, Here's the emphasis here. It's talking about those who are skilled in the word of righteousness, those who are unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That is, in verse 14, those who are skillful, those who are of full age, that is mature, they've gotten that way because they have used or practiced exercise, that is they've disciplined themselves to discern through regular practice what's good and evil. How? 
Through the word of righteousness, or through the word of God. That is, they are so familiar and so used to looking at God through, I'm sorry, looking at life through the lens that God has given us in Scripture that they can discern what's, what's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong, so forth and so on. It's wisdom. The ability to use the word. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 This ought to be the prayer of every Christian and the prayer for every Christian. Look in Philippians. Philippians 1 and verse 9, Paul, this is Paul's prayer. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that's discernment, that ye may approve things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Well, what a prayer. Paul's prayer ends with that they would be filled with fruits of righteousness But you'll notice that he understands that those fruits of righteousness are going to be produced and brought forth as they exercise their discernment, as they approve, as they judge, as they understand what's excellent and with sincerity pursue the Lord. Their love is abounding more and more through what? Through knowledge. Their ability to discern what's pleasing to God, what's not pleasing to God. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but brothers and sisters, as we think about what it means to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use, you've got to be an individual who knows how to use your noggin. You've got to know how to discern. If not, you will be swept away with every wind of doctrine. You will be unstable. Your life will be up and down and all around. You've got to get wisdom. Now, in our text, as we've said, Paul is particularly relating this to companions and influences. Companions and their influences. And so when we think about companions, companion is just simply someone that we bring into our circle of trust, that we bring into our circle of influence. The the word companion means to knit together, to knit together. And so one area that um, is really a a, a proving ground, maybe there's a better way to say this, a manifestation of how wise an individual is is the kinds of companions that they um, that they choose. Proverbs thirteen twenty, he that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. We think about this, and it does primarily when we're thinking about this. We think about young folks, and that's fine, and that's good. You need to be wise about who you're choosing as people that you knit yourself to. 
Forsake the foolish, Proverbs 9, 6 says, and live. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make not friends with an angry man. Why? Lest you learn his ways. Now, older folks aren't immune to this. But your companions matter. Who you surround yourself with matters. That doesn't mean people that you... Uh, that doesn't mean that you're not kind to people. It doesn't mean that you're not courteous, that you're not cordial to people. It does mean you you need to be very careful who you knit yourself together with, who you draw into your circle of influence. 1 Corinthians 5.33, Be not deceived, evil communication, corrupt good manners. We could spend a lot of times talking about what you shouldn't be doing, who you should be avoiding, who should not be your companions. But you know, there's a flip side to this. It's found in Psalm 119.63. Psalm 119.63. Verse 63. David says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. I'm a companion of all them that fear thee, and they that keep thy precepts. One mark of an individual who is wise is that they surround themselves with wise people, with people who fear the Lord, with people who are serious about walking with the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about people who are perfect, but I am talking about people who will walk with them, who are walking in the same direction that they're walking in. One of the things that, we've talked about this before, one of the things that a wise individual is going to have in their life is regular accountability at some level. Someone who, when they see you veering off the path, loves you enough to confront you, loves you enough to bring that to your attention. Loves you enough to hurt your feelings if it'll make you more godly. Well, your companions and who you choose as companions is going to have a lot to do with that. There are a lot of people that just have the idea, I just want to support you. I'm just here to support you. I just want to be there for you. And what that means is, is I just want to be happy and let you march straight into destruction because I don't want to hurt your feelings and tell you something you don't need to hear. Well, we want to avoid both the, the, the bad and we want to pursue the good when it comes to good and godly companions. So a vessel that's fit for the master's use is going to be wise. It's going to be a wise companion. It means that you're going to be able to correct when that correction needs to be made. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But it also means that you're going to be wise about when and what and how you correct if that is the case, if that needs to happen. Paul says, if a man purge or if a vessel be purged of these things, he shall be sanctified, holy, fit for the master's use. So number one, a, a wise vessel. Number two, we think about a vessel that's fit for the master's use. A holy vessel. A holy vessel. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 
Second Timothy chapter two, verse 22 says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. A holy vessel, it just simply means getting serious about godliness. Getting serious about godliness. When we think about holiness, we can think about it in several different ways. We could go through a list of things that you ought to be doing, and we can go through a list of things that you ought not to be doing. And holiness does occur in very specific ways, and the Bible does give us a very specific list. But when we think about this in a general way, Matthew 6, Jesus' statement there, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're thinking about priorities. What are you going to prioritize this year? That means what are you going to, what are you going to arrange your life around? Or what is it that's going to dictate what you decide to sacrifice this year? You're going to sacrifice a bunch. You're going to sacrifice a bunch. We all do. Whatever you prioritize is going to dictate what you sacrifice. And so the first step for a Christian as far as getting serious about godliness is, is trying to figure out and then trying to prioritize what are the convictions, what are the priorities that are going to guide me, that are going to help me as I try to work through the details and what needs to be held on to, what doesn't need to be held on to, of what I need to be focused and spending my time on and what I don't need to be focused and spending my time on. Well, another thing you get from Matthew um, chapter 6 is that you're going to prioritize whatever you love and value. You're going to prioritize whatever you love and whatever you value. So is it going to be me time? You know, some people are just living for me time. Nothing wrong with me time. We all need it. But you need God more than you need me time. Okay? You, you, need, you need the Word. You need prayer. You need fellowship more than you need R&R and a little me time. Getting serious about godliness is really a symptom of growing in love for the Lord. Okay, And the opposite is true. A lack of interest in godliness is a symptom of just coldness and indifference toward God. Sometimes people say, you know, I just don't read the Bible because I'm not into reading. Not true. Okay. You don't read the Bible if you don't read the Bible because you're just disinterested in what God has to say. Okay. That's the way that works. I wish we could, you know, I wish we could uh, uh, maybe flavor that up a little different, but that's just, that's just the way it is. Sometimes we have this mindset that I just want to know what is the bare minimum I can possibly do and still feel comfortable in my relationship with the Lord. I want you to think about how that might work if I were to say, Abby, I love you, but if you would please just let me know for 2023, what's the bare minimum I can do and we're still good? How many words do you need from me? Tell me when you really want me to listen. Other than that, I'm just zoned out. I don't do conversations well, Abby. I wish I was different. I just don't. I just don't do conversations. You laugh because it's it's ridiculous. Okay, same thing. It's still you know I'm not into the word because I don't read. 
That means I'm not into God because it takes effort on something that comes not so easy to me. When it comes to your spiritual disciplines and whenever it comes to growth and holiness, again, it's a lot more about discipline than it is ability. Particularly in the day and age that we live in. I mean, there's, uh, for those that aren't readers, you have more access to audio material than any generation has ever had in the history of the world. You just push play on your phone. You've got sermon archives that are, are, are tremendous. And so when we think about getting serious about godliness, we're thinking about getting serious about our walk with the Lord. I don't know if you've, uh, you know, it's a new year and so maybe you've ended a reading plan and you're looking for another one. Uh, the Internet's full of those. We've got a few out in the pamphlet rack that are good. What I found, though, in my experience is that it's a lot less about the plan that you're on and it's a lot more about your hunger and thirst for communing with the Lord. You want to know what the best reading plan is? The one you'll stick to. There's no magic reading plan. Um, it may be that it takes you five years to get through the Bible. Well, that's better than you reading Genesis and Exodus five times over five years and nothing else. Okay, how, Whatever your pace is, however it is that, that your mind works, whether it's through listening, I've heard of some that have programs where they make sure on their, they're, they're listening on their way back and forth to work and they, they listen through the Bible in a year along with their other reading plan that they may be doing. The point is, if we're going to prioritize communion with the Lord, we're going to figure out some way to be in the Word. We're going to figure out some way to make sure that Scripture is something that we are regularly, personally in. Now again, when you look at the text, verse 22, flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see the first command here is that you would flee. To turn from. It's repentance, really. The word youthful lust here... Many times when we think about the word lust, our mind immediately goes to sexual sin. And um, most commentators say that is, while it's part, it's not all of what's being encouraged here. John Stott says this, this is not to be understood exclusively as a reference to sexual lust, but to self-assertion as well as self-indulgence, to self -am uh, selfish ambition, headstrong obstinacy, arrogance, and indeed, all the wayward impulses of youth. When we think about youthful lust here, as far as turning away from youthful lust, it's, it's really just turning away from, from pride. Turning away from stubbornness. That is, I know better. Turning away from self-indulgence. That is, a lover of pleasure more than lovers of God. Turning away from selfish ambition. That is, I'm going to... I'm going to let my spiritual priorities go to pot because I have other ambitions that I'm regarding more highly that are more important. Fleeing from youthful lust is sacrificing whatever it is that gets in the way of your commitment to the Lord. So you flee and then you pursue. Pursuing righteousness. 
just simply that which is right. Faith, charity, peace. All of these are directly tied to what we were saying earlier as far as you being in the Word. And you think about your pursuit of charity, that is sacrificial love. You know what has to be there in order for you to pursue charity? Somebody else, right? Somebody else. I mentioned this on Wednesday. I've mentioned it a good bit here lately, but it's not because necessarily it's a hobby horse. It's just in the text. If you're going to be holy, you're going to be growing in relational wisdom. You're going, to be, you're going to be growing in your ability to fellowship with God's people and you're going to be growing in your willingness to lovingly sacrifice preference in order to serve God's people. Pursuing that. Number four on the here, we're pursuing peace. That is, learning to be a peacemaker among any group. God's people are not excluded there's going to be conflicts that arise. There's going to be issues that come up. There's going to be things that need to be worked through. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, to work through those things. You've heard me say this before, and it's not original with me. Ken Sandy and the peacemaker talks about ways that we can deviate from this. Number one, we can be a peace breaker. A peace breaker, that is, we get so focused and so tuned in on something that it becomes so major, we're willing to break peace over it, making peace over preference, or maybe even holding conviction, but responding to those who violate that in a way that's sinful in and of itself. Or a peace faker. A peace faker. Someone who's just willing to pretend. Their relationships are all superficial. It's a slap on the back. It's a handshake. You ask them how they're doing, and the only thing you get is better than I deserve. Just a superficial deal. Or you can be a peacemaker. That is someone who moves into relationship. One who works through conflict. One who is interested in real and in genuine reconciliation when difficulties arise. Well, if you're going to be committed to holiness, you've got to be committed to making peace with your brothers and sisters living in sacrificial love with your brothers and sisters, walking in faith and in faithfulness and pursuing righteousness. And you'll notice in verse 22 that you're pursuing righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That just means with those who are genuine believers. doesn't mean those who are perfect. But it means you're, you're, this is a community project. This is a group effort. We've already mentioned this. But one of God's greatest provisions for your holiness and your usefulness in the kingdom is the help and the encouragement of meaningful relationships in the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25, we're not to forsake ourselves to, uh, from the assembling of ourselves together, but we're supposed to come together and stir one another up. Encourage one another. All those other one another's that we find in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 13 warns us of the blindness that we can fall into without the encouragement and the fellowship that we have with each other. 
So a vessel that's fit for the master's use is a vessel who is growing in wisdom. It's a vessel that's serious about growing in holiness. That means getting serious about communing with the Lord and growing in your love for the Lord. Getting serious about reading, studying, meditating on, and using Scripture in daily life. Getting serious about personal sin and repentance and getting serious about serving in the body of Christ. Now, you want to know one thing that will be not, that will not benefit at all is to hear those four things and to say, yeah, I need to do better. And then just leave it at that. You got to be intentional. You got to be intentional. We're not thinking about what you need to do. We're thinking about what you need to do and how you need to do it. So take some time, not this second, but take some time and evaluate what needs to what areas of your prayer life need to grow, need to change? Maybe your prayer life's fine. You need to do what you did last year. What about Scripture? How are you doing in Scripture reading? Well, it's not just good or bad. It's what's lacking? Where's the struggle? Would it be helpful for you to be held accountable in your Bible reading where you had someone that you were reading with and it wasn't just are you doing good, doing bad? It's What are you getting out of your reading? Let's discuss the reading for the week or for the day or for whatever. Getting serious about sin, getting serious about serving. Again, intentionality and accountability and intentionality go very well together. Are you going to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use? Are you just going to be comfortable? So a wise vessel, a holy vessel, and then last, a relational vessel, a relational vessel. You cannot be Christ-like and non-relational at the same time. It just doesn't work. Look in verse 23 down to 26. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, we mentioned this on Wednesday night, and I'll mention it again. There's no way to get around the fact that the Christian life is primarily relational. The kingdom of God is made up of relationships. Even in eternity past, God was in relationship with Himself from all eternity. Salvation is you being brought into relationship with the living God, and then it's Christians being brought into relationship with one another because they've been united to Christ. When you look at 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, I think an argument can be made that Paul is applying a wisdom principle that can be kind of tricky out of Proverbs, but it's uh, pretty clearly laid out. Look in Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 26, verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, 
lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And so the passage has regularly given people trouble who've tried to discern what, what's being said. How do you apply this? On one hand, in uh, verse 4, it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly. In verse 5, it says, you should answer a fool according to his folly. Is that one of those contradictions that we find in Scripture? Well, no. The thing about wisdom is it takes discernment. Okay, What's being said here is there are times where you should answer a fool. There are times when you should not. And so now the question is, when? How do you know when? Well, it just depends. Well, how do you know when you shouldn't? Well, it just depends. Don't you hate that? Don't you wish everything were just black and white with a principle that you could use that kind of came uh, preloaded? You've got to use your head. Again, we said at the very beginning, it's a wise vessel that's fit for the master's use. Well, Paul's going to tell Timothy here some ways that he can apply that. Verse 23, avoid foolish and unlearned questions knowing that they do gender strifes. If you're going to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use, you need to be able to discern when confrontation is necessary and when confrontation is foolish. You know, there are a lot of folks who um, really smear the name of Christ because all they know how to do is argue about something stupid. Let me ask you a question. It's a real question. What is the most important attribute that God has? Anybody have any ideas? Sounds like a holy question, doesn't it? That's a stupid question. That's a stupid question. The opposite would be, what's the most unimportant attribute that God has? Is there an unimportant attribute that God possesses? You say, well, where are you getting that? Oh, you get them. There are people that argue about that and then some. I didn't make that question up. I recently saw a pile of Christians arguing about that on social media and just thought, what in the world? You want to know why that's a stupid question? Because the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Okay? There's no passage in Scripture that says, here's God's most important attribute. So why would we argue about something like that? You could do that with, with 101 other things that, again, Paul says, they just lead to strife. Once, even if you find an answer that you're satisfied with, it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't lead to holiness. It doesn't lead to edification. It just leads to arrogance and strife. And he says, avoid those things. There are some areas, and, and, and maybe even there are some people who just major on the minors. When I say minors, I'm not talking about minor things in Scripture. I just mean little nuances that you can't even find in Scripture. And Paul says, avoid arguing with those people. You don't have to have an answer for all those things. You can disagree with people and still be friends, especially on silly areas. So you need to discern when confrontation is necessary and when it's foolish. 
But then there are going to be some times when when it is, and that's not just for the pastor, that's for everybody, maybe in different ways, maybe in different areas, but when confrontation is necessary, when conflict arises, there's some things that you need to, uh, if you're going to be a vessel that's fit for the master's use, there's some things that you need to address. Number one, your character. Your character. Look in verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. Now, whether we're talking about pastors and uh, uh, people that uh, pastors are ministering to, whether we're talking about parents and children, whether we're talking about members and members, friends and friends, it doesn't matter. This stuff is all going to is all going to be applicable. The servant of the Lord is gentle, gentle, patient. Meek is another word that's used in verse 25. What does this mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Number one, we're going to have to recognize that God does use His saints in the growth of other saints, right? He uses us in one another's sanctification, but He uses us as He wills, not as we will. What I mean by that is we can become very, very, very impatient with at the rate of some people's growth in particular areas. Paul recognized that. Perhaps Paul recognized that in himself as he's giving this farewell letter to Timothy. One of the things he wants to make sure that Timothy understands is that as you're interacting with other people, you need to make sure that your interactions, particularly when it comes to correction, that it is characterized by Gentleness, patience, meekness. Why? Because people don't change as fast as we wish they would. Paul tells us that we're changed from one degree of glory to the next. We talked about that on Wednesday as far as change being a process. Change is always the result of the work of the Spirit in the life of an individual. You've heard this quote before, but John Newton said when he was old in age, he said, it's taken me 20 years to come to firm conclusions on where I stand doctrinally. Why should I expect it to take somebody else one sermon or one conversation? That's foolish. Patience, gentleness. Why? I'll tell you, one of the reasons, probably the main reason why we're not as gentle as we should be with people is because we take ourselves too seriously. We take ourselves too seriously. We think it's a reflection on us. Well, in God's kingdom, we're working to build up God's people to God's glory. And if we're going to do that, we need to do that God's way. And God's way is with gentleness and meekness. Doesn't mean that you never have a straightforward conversation with somebody. It doesn't mean that you never hold somebody's feet to the fire or even call somebody out on the carpet, but it does mean that the the, the tenor of your interaction with that individual is going to be patient, gentle, meek. It's not going to be chewing somebody out. It's going to be encouraging growth. 
out of a heart of love. Your goal, I'm sorry, your process is to gently instruct. That's what it says here. Gently instruct. But it, it is a lot more fun to just throw down the hammer, isn't it? Makes for a lot better story when you're telling somebody. Gently instruct means what? It means you need to understand Scripture. It means you need to understand the issue. It means you need to understand the person. You need to figure out where they are and know where they need to be. It's gently instructing. You say, well, that's a lot. You want to be fit for the master's use? You want to be a vessel unto honor? You need to consider that. This is how the Lord would have you to live in your relationships with one another. The goal. The goal. We're, verse 25, meekly instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure God will grant them repentance under the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. The goal, that they may recover themselves. The little phrase there for recover themselves, it, it's kind of funny, it means that they might return to sanity. That they might return to sanity. The Lord may return to them, return them to a sound mind. The hope here is that God would grant repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. That they may be recovered out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive. So again, brothers and sisters, just a reminder of ourselves that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood here. That as we're working with others, as we're trying to encourage others, as we're seeking to be relational, we could say much more about relational wisdom here, but as we move into difficult conversations, we're doing it with a godlike way, with a godlike goal, and a godlike process. And the hope is that the Lord would be the one to grant repentance and to allow this person to recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When it comes to confrontation like this, comes to someone who needs to be confronted, God is not banking on you, but He might use you. He's not banking on you, but He might use you. And it is a blessing to be used of the Lord. We're talking about vessels fit for the Master's use. So as we think about moving forward into 2023 and beyond, think about what it means for us to be vessels that are fit for the Master's use. Really the question is, what kind of vessel are you going to be? A wise vessel, a holy vessel, a relational vessel. We're growing in all three of those. Or are you just going to be a vessel who coasts? A vessel who majors on your preferences? A vessel who just does what you've always done? Well, the only person who can make that decision is you. The only person that can make that decision is you. And so the prayer this morning is that we would commit ourselves, we would commit ourselves to ongoing growth into being the kind of vessel that is fit for the Master's use, that we might honor the Lord in our day-to-day lives, that we might build one another up as we meet together and as we interact with one another throughout the week, and that we might be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Again, brothers and sisters, there's a whole lot you can't control. You cannot control what's going to happen in the state of the nation over the next year. But you know what you can control? You can control what this church is going to be like this time next year. What's it going to be like? 
Well, in some part, you get to choose. We could be a, a body of people who are focused on growth and sanctification and the edification of one another. Or we can be folks who just coast. May God bless us to be intentional about being vessels who are fit for His use. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would um, bless us with insight into how this passage applies to us as individuals, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that where we need growth and discernment, that You would bless that and we would be intentional in pursuing it. Where we need growth and holiness, I pray that You would show us things about ourselves that maybe we're not even seeing right now. And Father, where we need growth in relational wisdom, I pray that You would expose that. And then, Lord, I pray You would bless us to pursue righteousness. That we would pursue um, that which is pleasing to You. And that You would bless us, Lord, with opportunities to be used by You. And when those opportunities come, I pray we would be ready, we would be fit for the Master's use. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.